When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Seriac Chronicles is a Bayard Chronicles production. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Seria and Chronicles. Did you miss us? It's been a whole week, but it was our first week, so I'm sure that felt extra long uh, not hearing from us. I'm Nikki Bandini and I am back with Mina Razuki to talk you through all of the action from Seria. Um, it has been another dramatic weekend in, in Seria, Mina. How did you enjoy it? <sighs> It's really hard to enjoy it when my team is in 18th position. <laughs> I'm starting. I still have hope and a lot of it, but um, I'm wondering whether I should probably bend that level of hope now. Um, it's also difficult because I think they were just so, this is, it's really bizarre to have a Serie A league that is so good, but sometimes at times it's almost like I can't watch every match, but I really, really want to. So it's almost giving me a level of anxiety that I didn't expect because just the tactics on show. How is this not the league that everyone wants to watch is beyond me? I, honestly, it's it's been a really um, fun, lively start to new season. There's so much going on. We're going to get into to all of this, but obviously we've just had a, a European round. Italian teams as a collective didn't do great, honestly, in this opening round. There were some bright spots. There were some less bright spots. Um, but I... I um, badly. Well, they, they, they did it and, and we'll get into it. And I think different teams, different expectations, different performances and the performances and results didn't always sit together. I think this start this season has set things up in a way that has me really, really gripped. And I suppose to sort of name it rather than your uh, allusion just now to the fact that your team is off to a bad start. The, the, the headline story this week is Juventus drew with Milan. They went 1-0 up. They started quite well, um, but then uh, ended up drawing 1-1. Juventus now have two points from their opening four games. It's their joint worst start ever. They've had uh, three other seasons in their Serie A history where they've gone four games without winning. 
So that's, I suppose, the the, the big setup to to everything else that's fascinating right now is Juventus aren't they aren't Juventus, Mina. <laughs> Yeah, and, and everything that you read is, this hasn't happened to Juventus since 1961. Here's the thing, yeah, like I got actually very irritated because I only read some of the newspapers today and I couldn't read all of them because we're recording and I slept really late, woke up really late. It's, it's a whole <laughs> thing that I have. By the way, people should know I'm a vampire, so I don't sleep before 4 a.m. I'm usually like, you know, doing stuff or reading stuff or doing American TV or whatever it is. and um woke up at like 11, started reading Gazetta and I just got so angry at the way that this game was defined and explained. Here's the thing, I just, Juventus were amazing in the first half and that wasn't noted. And I, and I feel like a lot of the things that were being noted was the fact that Milan came back to it. Yeah, I'm really happy and, and it's true, Milan's game and their tactics and what they build on to Pioli in the sense that they can still hold their tactical formation, that they can always grow back into the game, is a wonderful thing. I mean, we saw that against Liverpool in midweek, you know, in the Champions League. We saw what a horrible start they had. We saw how they just stick to what is familiar to them. They always work and, and, and are disciplined positionally so that they can once again try to steal what they can. And they did do that. They shocked Liverpool. Um, but I still think that people are like, okay, oh, Juventus, they're just a bunch of runners. We, we discussed that against Pirlo. We discussed the fact that there was a lack of balance in between ball players and runners. The, what seems to me like with the, what the team that they have is, is a side that's very good at sort of just running forward and trying to hope for a pass, but that there weren't enough people there that offer those passes. And it makes a difference when you don't have a director in midfield. We are missing Arthur. And obviously, Dybala did a splendid role in actually being in the team and trying to be the one that creates something. But, you know, the, the amount of hypocrisy about how this is a side that is just, you know, counterattacking. But Antonio Conte was revered and beloved because it was simple, you know, long ball bastoni, Lukaku holds it up. And all of a sudden, Conte is a freaking genius. But when Allegri does it, it's, oh, this is so much. This is so bad. We expect so much more from Juventus. You know, the lack of construction, the fact that they just all run and nothing more. That, I'm still getting over it. And I feel my anger. So it's it's the, micro, the microphone is with you, Nikki. I I, just, uh, I, I I love Mina. I love that Conte is gone. But Conte will never be gone from our conversations. Never, never, um, never. I um, I look um, and, and I'm a big, I'm a big Allegri sort of um, I don't know, if fans the right word. I've but I've been very enthusiastic about his work for for years, and I think I was an Allegri early adopter, which some people really weren't. I mean, remember the hostility when he first came to Juventus first time around. And they were excellent at him. I was already on board from his Milan time. I think even his end at Milan, um, when you look at it with hindsight and where Milan's trajectory was going, I think he held things together while the Milan project was being picked apart surprisingly well. But Allegri has never promised anyone some uh, idealistic, beautiful football. And someone was talking to me about this. Um, uh, someone raised this with me on, on Twitter last night saying that they felt like even when things were going well in the first half, they didn't see a, a big idea. And to me, Allegri has never been a big ideas guy. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of his whole shtick is he's a pragmatic guy. And I think yeah. that his big idea for that uh, Milan game ultimately came down to something which 
it's not exciting. Like I'm, I'm never going to tell you it's the most exciting brand of football you get from Allegri, but something we've seen before from him, which is a low block. They had a very uh, deep uh, back four and, and they're relying on Chiellini and Bonucci is always in that low block, creating space further forward for, in the end, it was Dybala in particular in that first half, but your 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 stars to do things. And Allegri has returned to this concept a few times. He's drawn the parallels with basketball before where he's talked about who do you want taking your shot for you at the end of the game? And I think they did draw Milan on. We saw it on the first goal. Obviously, Milan got that little bit too high up the pitch and off went um, to the races. But even after that, I, I really loved in the first half how Dybala was finding spaces. It wasn't just about Dybala being this sort of player who can uh, be brilliant in the final third of the pitch. It's actually the, the creation that he does. Because I think when you have that axis going of Bonucci, and we've always known that Bonucci can play great passes from the back, but Dybala also dropping into the middle of the pitch and playing these sort of long arcing passes uh, out, out to the outside. I, I really, I think that um, that is Allegri in the end. It's it's pragmatism and then an alliance of that pragmatism with here are my best players and I'm going to let them, I'm going to put them in position to do what they do well. I think the thing that's really bothering me with this this iteration of Juventus so far, and it's only four games, I'm, and I'm really sort of resistant to any of the grand narratives because, as we said, I think on last week's podcast, all right, they did win their fourth game in 2015, but Juventus started horribly in 2015 and won the league. I think they won their fourth game, then lost the fifth one again, so it wasn't much different. But what is bothering me, if anything, is I think there has been now, on more than one occasion, because it happened against uh, Udinese as well, this complacency in the lead that because in the past Allegri's teams were able to take a lead and go, right, done, that they're trying to do that again. And I don't know if Juventus can do it anymore. This isn't the Juventus of Buffon at the back. It isn't the Juventus, um, I, it's still Kikellini and Bonucci, and even that was a conversation point because Allegri doesn't want anyone saying to him, hey, why isn't Delict playing these important games? But it's it's not the same Bonucci and Kellini. And I... And especially with Chesney, not that Chesney was particularly at fault in this game as he has been in previous games, but the story of their start of the season includes Chesney having a lack of confidence. I just am not sure that this way of doing it is going to work. And so if Allegri is the manager that I think he is, he needs to start being more proactive in, in working out different solutions to how do we manage a game? How do we see out a game rather than just getting ourselves into a good position? No, I take your point on what you're saying about the, the fact that this isn't a team that can defend. And what we know so well from Allegri is that he is all about defense. Defense wins your championships, right? That's what Juventus did for nine years um, until, well, actually before that, until Sadi came along and they didn't win it with the best defense. And then, then it became a problem. So, but that's, look, I think that comes from the fact that once upon a time, this was a midfield that held um, Arturo Vidal, that had Marquisio, Andrea Pirlo, that had a lot of possession on the ball. And then afterwards, you know, Pjanic, even though I wasn't his biggest fan, but whatever it is, you still always had players that were capable of like, you know, Sami Khedira in Matuidi. Matuidi worked really hard. Sami Khedira was the most tactically intelligent midfielder in the world. What you have right now is a, is a midfield that struggles to maintain possession and struggles to fill in the gaps when they do appear. And they are going to appear. There's no such thing as the greatest partnership in mid in defense. You know, when people talk to me about defenders, the only the only one true character quality or character that I really love is a player who can do something one-on-one, which is why it will always be like the likes of Sergio Ramos and Romero for me. I love who they are. 
Um, but in order to create a great defensive unit, it is about your midfield knowing when to pick up the gaps. And sadly, he just doesn't have that midfield right now. This is where I have an issue with the fact that it is very unbalanced. And in what we do have is just a bunch of runners, not enough possession players, um, not no ability to, let's say, hold the ball, but also not enough tactical intelligence. You know, it's about the lots of individual mistakes. But I don't want, sorry, just, I sort of don't want to go into that because I also think that there's a lot of expectation from a Juventus side that we know has been badly built that for a few seasons under Paratici or after Beppin Marotta left. We know that there are a lack of balances there. So the fact that everyone's looking to Allegri to resolve all of this and to all of a sudden have this beautiful idea of creating football, I think he's done masterfully well with the, what he has. Yes, it's a great team on paper, but that never mattered because we look at PSG every year. They've always had the greatest team on paper and they didn't win Europe. That's not what matters. What matters is right now trying to get the players to understand what the role is. Okay, I only have runners. So how can I have a team that just runs and manages to win? Let's overwhelm them. Let's always depend on on, on Morata when it comes to the counterattack. If there was ever a, a counterattacking game, I will always choose Morata because he's the only one that can run and guarantee you that goal. And so, you know, Dybala actually creating and producing and not just being the guy who's trying to collect the ball from Chesney, you know. And I think that that says something. So there are little things that are growing that make me or give me hope. But the fact that Gazette de los Sport or Sky Italia can sit there and say to me, yeah, well, where's the construction? Who is it that you would like to construct the game exactly? Do you Are you looking at the, at the sheets? You know, are you looking at what the players are available rather than the price tag? And the fact is, is that we're four matches in and you can't believe that they're not dominating possession. This, these are the things that bother me. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all whether they dominate possession because um, Conte won the league not dominating possession, as you say. But I I don't know that I share your optimism in totality about where um, this will go. I, I think it will get better. And look, uh, Federico Chiesa wasn't on the pitch for a lot of this match. And, and as soon as you put him in there, I think it's a very different um, threat they carry. I, I am beginning to worry more week by week about the thing that I sort of sad off season not worrying about, which is are we going to um, um, see someone step up and and replace those goals that, that Ronaldo was scoring? But again, when Chiesa isn't on the pitch for 90 minutes, then, then that takes away probably the player who I expect most to do that for Juventus. I don't know. I mean, obviously just to throw to their Champions League game again, which has happened since, uh, since we last week, not much to say about it, I don't think in that case, because it was a win over Malmo, but at least it was a win. I don't know, Mina. I... I Week by week, I become a little bit less convinced of, of Allegri's ability to make this event into what I thought it was to start the season, which is a title winner. That is what I thought at the start of the season. Maybe I was naive, but I thought it's Max Allegri and it's Juventus, it's a title winner. And I don't know, is that, do you feel like this team can win a title? Because I'm, I'm, again, week to week more skeptical. Here's the thing. I think that that's a great question because I, we were having a mini discussion, but can you see anyone winning the title? Oh, I'm sure you'll tell us actually yeah. a bit later. But it's for a me, it, it's a great point. Yeah. But for me, here is what it is. Like if you're expecting Allegri to astound you or to make things a lot of fun to watch, then they're not. What he can do is make them cynical. And I do believe in his ability to shore up the defense. I think if they become a team that can shore up the defense and then they can release um, sort of Morata and perhaps like, you know, bring on Keza and Kulusevsky will adapt more. Again, people are expecting a lot of Kulusevsky. Like, let's just calm down. The guy played, you know, for one year and four games in. So let's not, you know, expect the world. But he does have 
something special. There is a lot of special players. But I think what we also see is that this is a team that needs market interference in January. And there needs to be a player in midfield that can actually hold the ball. Because Arthur, I don't think, is somebody you can depend on from a physical point of view. But rather than be down on all of this, I do also want to point out that I thought Milan were marvellous. <laughs> not... Not, you know, obviously not because, you know, usually I can say, oh, it's Kessier and it's all of this, but it's Brahim Diaz is rather amazing to watch at the moment. Their midfield works to perfection. And this is a team that was missing Calabria. Like if anyone knows, Calabria is like my favorite player basically in the world. Yeah. And I do think he's the best fullback, but they're missing him. They're reliant on Teo Hernandez. There's no Zlatan. There's no Giroud. There's a Kessie that's under par. Um... And you just, you know, it's like this overwhelming team. They've just played Liverpool. So you can understand that on a mental level, they might be exhausted. And yet they've Mm. slowly, slowly constructed the game. Now, do you think it is the beauty of their tactics and what Purely has done or that you've tired on a psychological level? I wasn't just worried about you just mentioned mental fatigue. I thought they would be physically fatigued because honestly, so I am, uh, you know, that that game against uh, Liverpool, which I covered for Sand Sports in Australia. If we've got any Aussie listeners, we are produced out of Australia. I, I thought it was a, f- a fascinating game. And this is one where I do want to talk a bit more about that Champions League game just because it's so long, even though, sorry, even though it's so long since it's happened, I just think we haven't had a chance to talk about that on this show. I thought it was such a fascinating game because... Liverpool were on a different level to Milan at the beginning. But the things that really encouraged you about Milan were the mental resilience of a young team. Still, you know, I think six out of um, Milan's team that night were playing their first ever Champions League game. And a bunch of the others were talking about three or four Champions League games before that. And you're away at Anfield after a year and a half of empty stadiums. You're in sort of one of the noisiest, most sort of... um, Hostile is not the right word for Anfield, but certainly one of the sort of hardest places to win in all of Europe. And packed, not like Italian stadiums that are 50%. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and, and packed. And and I, I thought the, the resilience was astonishing. And I thought we saw what was good about this Milan team, which is, well, some of what's good about it, which is that directness of the running from Brahim Diaz, Rafael Leao, uh, Rebic, like what they can do when they are doing... Pioli's vision, which is much more sort of clear at this point, Pioli's vision for this Milan, and then of course, Allegri just back at, at Juventus. Against Juventus, I did think at the beginning, a bit tired. But they both played in Europe, so... Yeah, no, I think both teams had a little bit of fatigue going on, but I, th- I would say that Milan's game was a lot more intense in midweek than, than Juventus was. Okay. Um, but I, again, what impressed me most about Milan against Juventus was simply the resilience I thought myself one nil down against the Max Allegri team. This is done. Like I really did. Like I spent a lot of that sort of um, did you? end of the first half, beginning of the second half thinking they're not going to find a way back because it's Max Allegri. It's, I've been conditioned, Mina. I, have you not been conditioned? It's Max Allegri. It's the Allianz Stadium. It's Juventus. They're going to hold on. No, it's 18 games where they've conceded goals. I don't believe in that defence at all. I, I mean, you can honestly put Sergio Ramos, David Alaba, whoever you want to say in the world, you know, Chiellini and Bonucci and Van Dijk, and I still think they'll concede. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in this team at all when it comes to the bag. But yeah, so you feel like you were conditioned. 
It's a great point to raise because actually when we talk about the last time Juventus started poorly in 2015, or at least this poorly, and they went on to win under Allegri, they did it with, I can't remember how many games it was from Buffon without conceding a goal, but it was an extraordinary number of games of consecutive clean sheets. And that feels a long way off. Chesney, to his credit, did a little bit better and managed at least one great save in this game. But I, I also think from a defensive point of view, it's a midfield that's quite inexperienced. You know, you mentioned, like I was just reading the stats now, Liverpool, 377 starts in the Champions League over what, like Milan had less than 50 of their players who had managed appearances in the Champions League. So that was a great point. But for Juve, yeah. when you look at that midfield of Rabiot, Bentancourt and, and Locatelli, they're like kids, you know, they're kids that don't really have the veteran experience. They, they've focused a lot on, and, and obviously Milan have kids too, but better kids. <laughs> so I think these things make a difference. I think one of the fascinating things, uh, Mina, is talking about Milan's midfield. as a contrast to Juventus' midfield, which as we've talked about, it feels like a weakness of that team. I, I think um, a couple of years ago, not even last season maybe, but the season before, you and I, did talk about um, this this midfield of, of uh, Benasser and Kessi is like maybe the best tandem in in all of Serie A, despite their, their youth at that time. And Benasser has obviously had a really tough season last season, was injured a lot, wasn't quite at that level. And I don't think he is back to that level yet. But in the meantime, when I say the meantime, I mean literally just the first four games of this season, Sandro Tonali has taken this huge step forward, which is incredibly exciting for, for those of us who, who follow Italian football. He's someone who came with such high expectations from Brescia, unfortunately slapped with the next Andrea Pirlo sticker way too soon just because he was playing at Brescia and he had floppy hair. But I actually really, really think he might be, even, and again, I'm not saying he's a better footballer something than Kessie, but in the first few games of the season might even have been a more consistent performer than Kessie. He's been so um, forward thinking with his passes. He's offering that directness with the ball that I think is really working with, again, the way Pioli's team wants to play, the way that those runners want to come um, from the, the, the Tricuarti, from uh, from, Benas, from Leao, from uh, Diaz, from if he's playing as a false nine, Rebic in front of them as well, and Silomakers. And against Liverpool, um, it was a real shame that we didn't get to see him because he was going to start and he got sick. Here's the thing, like, I think that he's benefiting from having, weirdly enough, I think Milan are benefiting from not having Chananoglu. And I think that Sandro Tonali is benefiting from the fact that this is a Milan side that is better than last year, that can attack across all fronts. They have obviously contributed to that, but there's a lot more sturdiness in the sense that it was quite leaning on Teo Hernandez usually, and it was again against Juve because they weren't strong on the other side. But there's a lot more unpredictability there. Tonali has also worked personally hard on trying to improve himself. He wants to make the difference, which is why I say sometimes with Kulusevski, like give him time. Sometimes you just need a player to understand his role and it's not thriving in chaos, but thriving within the tactics and the, and the setup that has been implemented by your coach. That is the one department that they need as Latan or Kajir. You know, that is the one department that for me, they could really do with a wise old head. Kessier, Benasse, Tonali, they all possess a range of talent and they're all a little bit different. One's always a little bit better at this, one's a bit of that. 
I don't see that in Juventus. There isn't diversity there. And that's what I love about this Milan is that it's not just purely his tactics, but it's great scouting. They keep looking for different things, you know. Okay, we need speed, but we also need possession, but we need this. And they have managed to create a side that substitutions will make the difference, that they can easily take one player out, put another one in, and it's still an amazing team. Really, really impressive um, resilience again from Milan. But they are still unbeaten. This was their first drop points. Just before we stop, can I say something? Fioli still hasn't defeated Allegri. That's something he needs to do. That's true. That is true. <laughs> but we should uh, take a tiny pause and then let's let's get on to talking about some of the other games that happened this week. So midweek, we saw an exquisite performance. Well, exquisite might be just a, a tad too much, but Inter were really, really good against Real Madrid. They created so many opportunities, but they didn't convert them and ended up losing to Real Madrid, who have all the experience in the world when it comes to the Champions League. And it sort of continues the thread of what's going on with Inter and Europe, a completely opposite thread to Juventus, who can't win in the league, but managed it in the Champions League against Malmö. Now, Inter then have to face Bologna. And it isn't just an easy game. It's a 6-1 win. And one thing they should be upset is that they did concede the one. (laughs) But this looks to be a side that was like, you know what, we're so annoyed that we didn't get to take all our chances against Real Madrid. So you know what? We're going to look at this Bologna side. We're going to look at the fact that they are just so hideous at the back. Hideous is, you know, in every... I don't even know how to emphasize this word enough, but let's get the six goals. Let's show you what we can do. Their highest center of gravity on an offensive level, they were simply spectacular. But again, I don't want to judge this too much because I don't know whether this is about the fact that you're champions of Italy facing the worst Bologna that I've seen. That has to be the worst performance. Or whether I can really be able to say with conviction that this is a strong inter-side, I still don't know. What do you think, Nikki? Yeah, I'm going to hold judgment a while longer because it's four games. I'm trying to hold judgment about all of these teams, if I'm being honest, because I I feel myself week to week pulling and getting overexcited because I'm clearly very excited about the new season as we've talked about, Mina. But I I do think what's interesting is, you, you alluded to it, the thing that was so encouraging for me was the inter performance against Madrid, which I thought was as you say, really impressive, really commanding, with with a caveat, which is that actually, I think, and you could possibly throw this same criticism at, at the um, Sampdoria game, which they drew before um, yeah. facing Madrid. I think Inzaghi got his changes wrong. And I think Ancelotti got his changes just right for Real Madrid. And that's why the game slipped away from them. Because I think Inter set up perfectly and dominated Real Madrid. And then... As the changes were made, they lost a little bit of that momentum and and Madrid made a couple of changes that won the game. It was Camavinga coming on and Rodrigo coming on and those two combined and won the game. The Bologna game is is interesting oh, for 100 levels. I mean, there's so many threads that I don't think we can get to them all in, in one go. I, I think it's, first of all, um, speaks to the, the mentality of this team. And it was interesting at the halftime uh, interview with Milan Skriniar, he says, basically, like, I use the word rabia, which means rage. Like I was furious, basically, that we didn't beat Madrid. And we all came here with this mindset of taking it out on someone. And they did. They took it out on, on Bologna. You're totally correct. The defending was mm. atrocious. But 
I mean, so just to sort of quickly sort of say what happened, 6-1, three goals in each half. Um, the first half, it's all uh, Denzel Dumfries dominating down the right, sending all these crosses in. It's from one of his crosses that Lautaro scores the opener. It's another one that deflects a battle for the third goal. Meanwhile, Di Marco uh, sets up screening off right from a corner. Second half, it all seems to be coming down the other side, Di Marco's side. Uh, and you get a goal from Vecino. You get two goals from Dzeko. And then, as Mina said, just a consolation at the end. I think the thing that jumps out to me, honestly, about this game as something that is meaningful rather than just, you know, interesting early season stuff that's happening is right away, we're looking for ways that Inzaghi can um, define himself as different context. He's being quite sort of a continuity manager in lots of ways. And I think that one of the ways in which he's immediately defining himself as different is he's using the squad. He's he's doing the thing that we criticise Conte for not doing a lot, where we'd say Conte gets too stuck in his head of certain players, even ignoring certain players he's insisted gets brought in. Inzaghi has thrown Dumfries straight in there. He has now played Di Marco in two different positions in a couple of games in Serie A, got some good things and some bad things out of him, but definitely some good out of him. In the set piece, Di Marco already brilliant. Um, he made a conscious decision to rest uh, Chalanoglu, to rest Perisic and to rest um, Dzeko. Unfortunately, Dzeko ended up having to come on because Carrillo got injured. I think he's being much more deliberate about his use of his squad than Conte was. Conte used, I think there were nine players who started at least 29 games in Serie A last season. I'm not even here to say, oh, this is brilliant. I'm here to say this is interesting. And it's one of the things that I'm interested to see how it plays out going forward. Not least because the next eight days for Inter are really tough. They go away to Fiorentina, home to Atlanta, and then away to Shakhtar. That's already a huge week in their season in the space of eight days. Well, at least they know they can win against Shakhtar. It's deserving. But um, (laughs) (laughs) that was that was so mean. Going away to Kharkiv, mean you're just being mean because it's deserving. Yes, I am. (laughs) Anyway, and all of Giannini's problems right now are so (laughs) the hangover from Deserbi's defensive tactics. Anyway. yeah, I agree with a lot of actually what you're saying in the sense that he is using his squad. I didn't actually think about this until you've talked about it now. You're right. He did rest a few of these players. I wonder whether, for me, I didn't understand, as in if I had Denzel Dumfries, I'm a big fan of this guy. I was a big fan of him watching him for PSV. I, I, he was always somebody that in my head I was like, because there's not enough fullbacks um, that I really rate, especially maybe in Italy, you know. And I always tend to, it's something that I'm just like so jealous of England because they have like a hundred <laughs> great fullbacks, you know? And so he's always been one that I've looked at because I think that, you see, I had issues with Ashraf Hakimi. I do think he's amazing and I will always think he's amazing. That's not what it is. It's just that sometimes on the defensive level, I wasn't always confident of him. And I feel the same way about Teo Hernandez. There's something about both of them that I'm not that on board with. You know, I, I prefer my fallbacks to be a little Kavahat. Dumfries is actually, you know, like he is very fast. He is a lot more in the Ashraf Hakimi mode um, and style than than Carvajal, for example, who I really like, or Calabria, you know. But he is wickedly good. And yet I cannot really feel confident in saying this about the team because tactically, Bologna went out there to be slaughtered. And they had played this very offensive setup. 
And here's the thing that, you know, question, like for me, in all honesty, if I was in charge of Bologna and because I do have that ability to be a little bit um, crazy and, and, and volcanic as a president, I would have sacked Mihailovic after this match. I'm telling you right now, I would have certainly sacked them. Like, I understand that you had a really great defensive performance against one of the worst Verona sides that we've seen in a really long time. And you spoke about it in your post-match conference about how, about how happy you were that you had managed to draw on sacrifice and really managed to battle it out again. It was Elas Verona who were in terrible sorts and, and not yet understanding the tactics being deployed by Di Francesco. But for you to then think that that gave you the right to go against the champions of Italy and play in such a manner in which you have an attacking full, attacking midfielder in this sort of narrow formation in hopes that you would be able to, what, score a bunch of goals against Brian Skriniar. Like, it seems to me that you went out there to be slaughtered on a tactical level and you got your just desserts. So I find it hard because in many ways, this was such an easy match, you know, for for Inter, especially having come off the back of it with Real Madrid. This was like, it must be a gift from gods, you know. We faced a really tough team. We couldn't score a goal. So you know what, here it is. Let's just have fun with this one. Let's score a thousand goals. But I want to look at the fact that Lautaro Martinez for me, because I've had issues with him. I haven't always been impressed with him in every way, but now he is turning into a complete forward. And that is the thing that I really, really like about him. He's not just a guy that sort of, you know, hangs around next to Lukaku looking to see what can be spread out to him and what he can take advantage of. He is involved in play. He can score goals. He is looking around. He plays with his head up. There's a, as he is really taking instructions on board and managing to make the difference in the final third. And I think his development under Izaki has been, you know, you can see it. And it's only been a few matches, but you can already see that he's taken that mantle piece. He understands Lukaku is gone and is like, I'm going to make the difference. Di Marco, again, coming in from Verona, being able to just, you know, you're right, there's been mistakes. He's young. It's new. But again, amazing, amazing acclimatization to this new team, to a team that demands a lot. From a mentality level, I don't know about the side. I still feel that because I still keep going back to Sampdoria. And I think you should have been better in really not conceding those two goals. So I don't know whether it's just that Bologna was so easy for them and they were so angry that this was an easy match and like the gods had aligned for them. When it comes to substitutions, we talked about it, you know, Brugge and Lazio. I think if anything, the weakest point in this team is Simone Inzaghi. I think that he's made them so sophisticated going forward on an offensive level. And I can see you're really shocked. They play so high up. There's so much unpredictability. Tactically, I think he's a wizard. Tactically, I think he's better than so many Serie A coaches. But in the moments that make a difference, when you know which player to take on, which player to take off, the psychology of the team, reading the actual moments within a game, he doesn't impress me at all. I think he's walked it. I think it's not an easy job what, what Inzaghi's taken on. I know it's easy to go, look, oh, they just won the league it's, and it's easy, right? I think, first of all, so many managers struggle with that. Um, and it, the last Inter manager to follow a title-winning Inter manager, of course, Rafa Benitez, who came in after Mourinho won the league, struggled pretty hard with it. And I think what is interesting with Inzaghi as a choice is, he's clearly the continuity candidate, right? He plays with the back three like Conte did. He relies heavily, or at least did at Lazio, on the partenza, the, the, the sort of quick strike um, 
uh, attack, the exploiting those spaces behind an opponent. Um, I'm avoiding the word counterattacking, Mina. Do you know why? Because Conte was always, we're not a counterattacking team, so I'm avoiding it. I'm talking about the words that Conte would use for his form of football. Um, there's a lot of of shared ideology in the way that they play. So Mm. it's a straightforward transition in that sense, right? You go from a a manager who wants to play a certain way to a manager who wants, sure, different nuances, but to play in a broadly similar way. But I still think that you get credit for starting the season as well as this, because I think it's not easy actually to come in, especially when, as we all, and I, I don't think anyone can say they didn't do this, before this season was saying, there's no Lukaku, there's no Hakimi, it can't be as good. And it might not be as good, by the way, it's still very early. But I I agree with you that substitutions are his, his weakest point. I think that's allowable, given that he has only got um, five years at Lazio as his professional management experience. Now, that's a pretty good place to be getting a professional management experience, but he's not um, he's not got the, the breadth that some others do. But I think he has to get better at it. I think that's something you have to see. We have to see growth this season and intern medium to show growth in for sure. I I just think um I just think it's it's really um interesting. And actually it, it's funny to, to bring it back to Mihailovic quickly. I I think if you're watching Serie A and you're not trying to take in, this is a broader sort of message actually for all of our listeners. And I hope that maybe some listeners who are newer to Serie A might take this on. If you're watching Serie A, and you're not at least trying to take in some of what's happening around the games themselves. You're you're not you're not getting the full experience, right? Because the press conferences, I swear to goodness, in Serie A are are part <laughs> of the show. And Mihailovic before this game um, actually got a couple of questions um, about the fact they'd kept two clean sheets in a row, and he starts swearing like a sailor, which is nothing new for uh, for, for Mihailovic, and says, you know, if if we concede a goal this this game, I'm I'm gonna come smash you basically because you're inviting bad luck on us. So I, I love that sideshow, and especially when you say that and then go and get walloped six one, it it makes it perfect. But I, I think that um you know that's all part of the dynamic as well within Zagi at Inter. Conte was in this war with the world as he always is was in this war after every game with Fabio Capello about whether or not to use the word counter-attack for how they play football and Inzaghi is is trying to I think have a much lighter touch and to be more forgiving and I thought about the press conference I thought about with this game with Di Marco and I think by the way Di Marco for me looks much more more promising in this position as a left wing back than he did against Sampdoria at a centre-back the thing that um really, of course, jumped out to me. I know you'll like this because it's because it's, it's throwing back to Conte and being mean about him. The, this is the same team in 2019 that would go out and sign Barella and Stefano Sensi and then have the manager say, who am I supposed to turn to in a difficult spot? Barella, who came here from Cagliari, and Sensi, who came here from Sassuolo. And it's just so opposite to that right now with, with Inzaghi. It's, it's the opposite. It's cool. This kid who was in our youth system, he went off on them. Yeah, but are you saying clubs. that's a good thing? I trust him. Let him go. Yeah, I do. I think it's a good thing. A good thing because they managed it against Bologna that have no defence. Like, how can we judge that? It's and good, and, and no, actually, it's it was a really bad thing against Sampdoria because <laughs> where was the Grinta when they needed it and the determination to play the Conte way, which is to defend your two goals with everything that you have? Do you see that? It's bad against them. 
but it wasn't, you know, this is the thing. Like, I do think that we won't be able to judge the slight touch of Inzaghi. But for me, I'd be furious the way that he, again, not that I would have sacked him, obviously, yeah, because I love his tactics. Tactically, I think he's superb. He's so sophisticated. He understands the nuances of everything that he does, how to play De Marco, how to, to set up the defense. And you can see the difference with Sadi coming in at Lazio and hit him struggling to find the balance that I think that Inzaghi found pretty quickly, actually, you know, when he changed tactics. They are tactically versatile and Lazio were. They weren't just a counter-attacking team. I know that's why the way that they were described a lot of the times. But what irritates me is his ability to not read the game at all. It's you ha- you are good against Real Madrid because you have possession, because everyone is helping out. And there's Brozovic and Chananoglu and Dzeko coming back and a lot of you know midfield control. And you think that you can take out these players and it's going to be absolutely fine. Are you stupid? This is Real Madrid, you know? And this is what irritates me. You're up against Rodrigo and Vinicius Junior. If you've ever seen the size, you know that they have runners. You know, you can't just look at what they have in their ability to possess the game to possess the ball and these are the things that when it comes to reading moments like against Sampdoria he messed it up he messed it up against Real Madrid and in this match this soft touch I I understand but I I feel like Fiorentina and the next nine games that you listed or the next sorry nine days that you listed will give us a fairer view on his ability but if there's one thing Antonio Conte can do is change mentalities and it would be much nicer if he can maintain that rather than, you know, make them a sweet side. <laughs> Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm just delighted, Mia. In episode two, two of our podcast, I've already managed to get you to defend Antonio Conte. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Then we definitely need to give this round a close and move on to our third match. Okay, Mina, uh, Verona against Roma. We've all been swept away with Mourinho's uh, winning start last week. It all came crashing down. Uh, Wild game. It was really, (laughs) I thought it was quite a really bland game in the first half and then a wild start to the second half where everything went topsy-turvy. Things that jumped out for me off the the top, Lorenzo Pellegrini being brilliant, which I know you are also similarly enamoured with how wonderful he is. Um, But uh, perhaps the first uh, splash of reality for Jose Mourinho and this Roma team as well, because defensively they were poor. But I also want to say a big hats off to Igor Tudor, who has this reputation. And, you know, look, he's been managing since 20, I think about a decade anyway. Um, I can't remember where he got his first job, but I think he's had one club in his whole decade he's been managing where he's got to spend a full season has a reputation as the guy you bring in to avoid relegation. Verona just decided to do it early in the season, bring him in right at the start of the season and throw him in after just three games, but they've already got a, a win as a result of it. I'll be honest with you. And I know Igor Tudor, like as in from Pirlo and having worked with Pirlo for Juventus last season. And because I did think actually on an attacking level, there were some really interesting ideas out there, but obviously Pirlo just really didn't do very well. So that was always the the, the running narrative. We could never really explore what it is that Tudor could do. And there were just lots of, of rumours about him falling out with Pirlo, whatever it is. But what I think what's interesting about his performance for Verona is firstly, Verona have some very well, like some very good technical players. They can actually move the ball around really, really quickly. They still have a lot of what you, what Ivan Juric put into that side. And Igor Tudor, there's a lot of the narrative of them both being Croatian. But I think what was important 
was going back to, you know, winning the jewels, right? Man on man and being able to dominate in that sense that left you breathless or um, it's just exciting to watch. A little bit like Torino. Anyway, I shan't go on about that game because I love Torino for the moment. Um, But I, I thought that Verona on a technical level are a lot better than I remember them being. And I don't know whether it is because on on a technical level, I feel like, or a tactical level, this Roma side is very much a Mourinho side. And you can see that they have changed from being a Fonseca side. Now, this game, it reminds me of something. It's a little bit strange because it was like Mourinho didn't know how to respond. And you can have, you know, ways of responding with the same players, but just changing up the shift or just moving them around slightly. Or, of course, your substitutions that make the difference. That is the marks of a great coaching system. Now, what I loved about Fonseca was that his Roma side was so tactically flexible. They were a bit, they were able to do a, a, an array of different things. They just didn't have the mentality or the fight or whatever it is that people always accuse them of, which is why they didn't win their big matches. But against Milan, there's a particular match last year when you could see that they were failing on on you know, because Milan was totally overwhelming them. And it was Fonseca's little changes. <laughs> 5-3-2 at the time, you know, made sure that Pellegrini came back a little bit more towards the midfield so that they could contain possession and then try to hurt Milan. Those types of nuances, that those types of changes, Mourinho isn't capable of. And when the truth comes out of it is when, when you keep running and you do face a side that's actually very good on the ball and can score and actually can create and overwhelm your defense, where are your answers? Because now what we see is a team that has a great mentality that's willing to fight but do they have the tactical intelligence, let's say, to manage to neutralise the opponent no matter how they play? Yeah, interesting points. Uh, all of them, I, I think it's what you highlighted about Verona's technical um, players is, is super interesting. Caprari, of course, a, a former Roma Academy graduate, but he was brilliant. Uh, Faraoni's goal was outrageous. If you Honestly, though, I mean, like, goal. Wow. just as an aside, I think I could go through this whole Serie A weekend and every other weekend this season and say, <laughs> game by game, God, that was a brilliant goal. God, that was a brilliant goal. Honestly, if you're not watching these goals, they're on YouTube. Go and watch them. This league is ridiculous at the moment. Um, because Pellegrini's goal was ridiculous as well. For oh, that the backfield flick to open it. It's outrageous. Can I just say on a side note for the World Cup, like who do you take in midfield? There's like a thousand great players, oh, you know? Well, so Pellegrini, of course, in case anyone forgets, was in the Italy squad and then had to leave at the very, very last minute. He picked up an injury and got replaced by Castrovilli. So he should have been in the Euro squad. Um, and, and his sadness for him to miss out on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that he is clearly establishing himself as one of the players who's most exciting to watch in Serie A this season. I think his relationship with Mourinho puts me in mind of the way Mourinho has managed almost every club I can think of, which is when Mourinho shows up somewhere, he very quickly establishes his favourites. And I think Pellegrini was his favourite from day one. He sort of reasserted this, look, we've got our Roman captain, he's who he is, and he's going to continue to be. And that's an important rapport. What, of course, is the worrying counterside for, for Roma is Mourinho tends to pick favourites and then pick his enemies, even with his own squad. And I don't know who the enemies are yet, um, but that's that's the bit which where things often get darker. People are saying it's Villar, but we'll see. Yeah, Gonzalo I've I've heard that mentioned. It's too early, I think, to, to say. I hope it's not. I think it's fascinating that you highlight substitutions because I think early Mourinho substitutions were one of the things we thought was best about him. I remember Mourinho at Chelsea in the the first special one period 
making changes after like 25 minutes, 30 minutes, everyone going, who is this guy? He's crazy. No one makes a change before halftime, but he would do it and win games. And I, I, I don't know. I think even when he came to it the first time to Serie A with Inter, um, I, I never felt like Mourinho's strength in Serie A was to be the tactical guy, right? I remember him talking about a game against Gasparini where Gasparini was playing chess with him and, and, and sort of outwitting him at every step. And I, I think that's not going to be his shtick in Serie A as I'm the smartest tactical mind in, 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 the, in the league. What Roma Hobi brings is certainly a good amount of tactical experience. He's been around the, the 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 sort of more than around the block. He's won the biggest things there are to win um, outside of international football. But um, I I think he uh, he certainly wouldn't be flattered to hear people saying uh, his tactics and his substitutions are the thing that are most critical about him. I, I think most worth it- criticizing about him. I think that you're right. He's never been necessarily the tactical guy. It made a difference when he was at Chelsea because I do think that the what he was facing and, and the Premier League in general, like obviously now when you have Thomas Tuchel and you have Pep Guardiola and Marcelo Bielsa, it's a lot elevated on a tactical level, but it wasn't that kind of league, you know? I think that where you always see an array of different, you know, formations and schemes and ideas and patterns of play, it is in Serie A. So it was always going to be harder for him. So for him to win it, he would need the best squad. Um, it's a little bit like Antonio Conte, you know, the best squad, and then I change your determination. So even if the team opposite us can play better football, our determination will stop them scoring the goal. So we'll at least walk out with, you know, a 1-1 or whatever it is. Um, and if we do go down to 10 men, we'll just fight even harder like they do in the Champions League, you know. And so that's his ability. And I, th- and I think he will find solutions to whatever he can't do on a tactical level. I would have liked what I want to what I want him to do is almost ensure that Roma stays flexible and and ideally what I'd really like is Mourinho to be the coach but have Fonseca next to him. Does that make sense? You know, because Fonseca's ideas <laughs> were so clever. Exactly, they're so clever, and I feel like he could get the best out of like Borja Mayoral had no right to score the amount of goals that he did. I mean, he's a good player, but he wasn't as good as I feel like Fonseca managed to get out of him. You know, this was a team that didn't have Tammy Abraham or Shmurdov, who I'm by the way I still obsessed with. Um, you know, there were like a, a lot of uh, Zaniolo for most of the team. So this is a much better Roma side, I feel like on paper. You know, and I just think on a there will be instances where they face a side in which they can't break through. Can he construct play? Does he? Because with defenses, he just seems to, you know, he knows what to do with defensing, defensive wise. He knows how to build a wall that no one can penetrate. But does he do enough does when he? it comes to the offensive formation? Well, maybe not with Roma right now, but generally speaking, that was always his thing, right? But offensively, he sort of just lets players go and do what they want to do. And it's easy when you've got Diego Milito or, you, you know, um, or you had whatever they had at Real Madrid and, and Chelsea. It's quite and Didier Drogba, obviously. It's kind of different when you know you are trying to get Shmuradov and Tammy Abraham and now all of this to work. And he has great players, which is why he can rely on Pellegrini and goals come from nowhere. But I think that when the moment is, is that when you have this midfield, you might need a player that can actually do something interesting and inspire the midfield, inspire the forward line. So you need to work on how those two departments communicate and Mourinho on that level wasn't somebody that impressed me either at Spurs or at Manchester United when it comes to doing that particular thing. And and that's something that I think Fonseca was brilliant at. They just didn't have the grinta that they needed. Yeah, I, I think it's it's um 
this is, I think I've been as guilty as anyone getting a bit swept up in the Mourinho excitement. It's been exciting. He showed up, he did his charge down the sideline. It's been fun. Um, it's been really fun, actually. Um, yeah. But I, I, I do think we're, we're getting towards reality check time um, for Mourinho and finding out uh, where this will go. I also, side note, I'm doing my big press conference chat this week. Um, side note, there was a, a little moment on DAZN where he got asked about Giampaolo Passini, who was also there, um, and, and memories of him and said, well, I've never managed Pazzini, but he's always one of my favourites because he scored those two goals against Roma when Roma was top of the league that allowed us to go on and, and win the treble. And I thought to myself, Shosa, you're treading on some some perhaps unhappy ice for some some people who support <laughs> the club you're following now. And I, I, I still wonder how over the course of a season, the past Interismo, will sit with the Romanista family. Well, that's a, that's another story to keep an eye on as, as the season unfolds. Okay, Nikki, so we have dissected, maybe a little bit too long, but we've certainly dissected all the big matches and all the huge narratives from the Serie A weekend. Um, honestly, I could speak all day long because there's still so much I didn't even get to mention Morata and just the beauty of Morata but anyway you know this is the my favorite section of the pod and it's our last section where we talk about all the remaining things that jumped out at us the games that are still worth mentioning but we just don't have enough time to go into a deep dive in them um but I do think we should probably start off with Lazio Cagliari because Maurizio Sarri is in charge. This is a team that nearly challenged for the title before they fell away because of the COVID pandemic, sadly, that have Ciro Immobile. Um, and that started off the season in terrific form, only to fade away. Meanwhile, Cagliari brought in Walter Mazzari, you know, sacking Semplici. I don't, I don't agree with that decision. I can see why everyone makes these decisions, obviously, because I am somebody who likes to sack people. But generally, not in real life, just in my head. Um, but um, If you could. If I could, if I was a president, oof, I would be Palermo. Anyway, um, but what did you think of this match? Is this, you know, typical? I mean, you could almost see Mazzari in the team already, right? So is this like, what's happening to Lazio? Or is this well done, Cagliari? But wasn't the most Mazzari moment that Mazzari, who hasn't coached in Serie A for a good chunk of time, shows up and immediately gets carded himself before the end of the game? <laughs> it's very Serie A that we've had two managerial changes already. Yes. Um, I'm not a huge um, Walter Mazzari enthusiast. Um, his football is, is not always the most uh, compelling. This was a, a fun game. It was on at the same time as the Roma game. Uh, so can't watch every single match for the full attention, full 90 minutes. I'm sure there were details of this one that I missed, but it's definitely interesting that uh, Maurizio Sarri, who had this very enthusing start, has has had a bit of a sort of backward step in, in the last few days. Disappointing performance in the Europa League with the, the, the loss to Galatasaray. Disappointing performance, I thought, in this one. There's still plenty good. Immobile is still doing good things. Uh, Menkovic Savage. Has, has had some promising performances. I'm just not sure it works yet. And as we're saying for everyone, it's game four. So uh, we'll see. But I, I think this, unlike uh, Inzaghi Dinter, where it's a continuity candidate, right? Where you're saying we're going to play broadly the same football with some nuance. Sari is quite different in what he ideally wants from his football teams to Inzaghi. He does want to play a possession game. He does want to 
bill from the front. And I think about some of that with what Lazio has. And then I think, well, maybe I'm putting too much thought into this because, again, Immobile is scoring goals. But I think, is that really what best suits these players? Immobile has thrived in those open spaces that Inzaghi uh, used to make for him. But definitely uh, worth keeping an eye on um, those teams. Uh, another team who I wish we'd made more time to talk about is Fiorentina, who are three wins from four games, got the big game against Inter coming up. They got goals from a couple of the sort of slightly forgotten men in there. They went over Genoa, I guess, uh, Giacomo Bonaventura and um, Ricky Saponara. Ricky Saponara, who scores these brilliant goals for slightly lesser clubs, never kind of never does it with quite the consistency, but I'm I'm excited about Fiorentina. I'm really fascinated to see how they do against Inter. I think they are they are good enough, especially with Vlavic, even though he didn't score this round. With Vlavic, they are good enough to be the team that unsettles this sort of Sette Sorella, the seven sisters we talk about at the top of, of Serie A right now. But whether or not they can do it is a different question. They have a good forward line they have a good midfield and they have a good defense so overall this should be a team that is aiming higher than 10th position and what they have is obviously Vincenzo Italiano and we think they have a good manager right no, like we have, they, they, they have the world's greatest manager what are you talking about I mean I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't mind swapping Max Allegri for him I'm so in love with him um but people are expecting him to play really beautiful football and that kind of annoys me because you have to start with the basics and what Fiorentina didn't have is the basics you know they could always bring the beauty but sometimes didn't have the basics you know and I think that's what he's working on, making sure that they do know how to defend strongly, that they they can be a side that doesn't always win necessarily beautifully, but just to command the game, to take, to build their confidence. And that what those are the steps that he always used to say in interviews is get the basics done, we'll work on the rest later. So that will come because they have players like Bonaventura that you just mentioned who can uh, do interesting things with the ball, but perhaps doesn't have the the mentality that everyone's always loved before and Vlaovic obviously is amazing. And I do like their back line and, and I think they have one of the best goalkeepers in the league. I just want to do mention something about, about Lazio's decision to go with Sadi. I know I'm going back a little but I do find it very, very strange that you've seen Sadi sort of have difficulties at Juventus because he's had to change so much that has had you know, difficulties even at Chelsea in trying to implement his game. And you think, let's move from a guy who played such a certain style of football to this one who now wants to hold possession and sort of change the balances of that midfield. I wonder what what is the thinking behind hiring coaches sometimes and whether or not like, you know, a team like Inter who do have Pepe Marotta know exactly who to bring on to continue something. And those who just sort of say, well, he's a big name, let's bring him in. I think it's an interesting point. We'll come back to Lazio this season. I promise, Lazio fans, we're not we're not ignoring yeah. you. Last game I wanted to mention, personally, I know there's another game you want to mention, but the last game I'm going to throw out quickly is I just want to say, beautiful to see a game played at the Sadio Penzo in Venice on the easternmost point, practically, of, of the cluster of islands in the middle of the lagoon. It's such a beautiful place to see a football game. I actually got a message when I was tweeting about this from someone who was at their game and uh, and said that unfortunately it was a nightmare getting in and there were only two beer taps for the whole quarter of us. So perhaps not always as perfect as it could be, but they've just um, renovated that stadium to be good enough for Serie A standards. It's still very much not a modern Serie A stadium. It's very much uh, something that they've had to, to sort of um, 
meet the minimum requirements with there was a long-term plan to build a new stadium on the on the mainland has been put on hold between um covid and financial issues but we'll see and again maybe a topic to come back to and talk about more another time but for the meantime just to say even though they did lose to Spezia it was very cool uh, to see Venezia playing in Venice in that beautiful location in the middle of the lagoon god I wish I was there to watch that match um I do also want to quickly mention Ivan Juric and his Torino side um it's funny because I do like Sassuolo I know I make fun of Deserbi and what he did there but obviously I do like this team and, and their management is for me superb which is why they've always managed to excel under Di Francesco under obviously Deserbi um I think Dionis is having a few problems what, one thing he did promise is a little bit more pragmatism you know a little bit more balance within the side that always shows beauty of everything else I think they're struggling to find that but what I do love is Torino who are fighting relegation last season you know who who faced all sorts of problems in the sense that they just fell. They fell down a well. It didn't seem like any of that team had any confidence left. Um, Ivan Juric came out, I mean, he was hired for the job, then came out and said, this isn't a team that I really want or can can manage to do the things that I'm asking of it. He was very upset at the time. Um, they did try to placate him and buy him the players that he needs. But what I do think is that it's remarkable how much, it's only four games, but it's remarkable to see just how quickly he's changed that. You know, when you look at their midfield and, and their strength and and how much they fight for the ball right now, this is something I hadn't seen from Torino in honestly two over two years. So I think it's really impressive. It's so impressive to see how different teams like Fiorentina and Torino have grown, all because they have a coach who just fights or is tactically smart or does something that's just different. So in the topic of, you know, players and squads versus coaches, what is more important? I'd love to know because I'm always on the side of coaching, meaning more than anything. And I'll just say the best squad, but you obviously need both. Um, anything else to add to that, Nikki? We could go on and on. And um, there's a midweek round, which will already be happening, I'm sure, by the time people have started listening to this. So we can't say too much, but obviously Napoli didn't get to play this weekend. Um, yeah, because they're playing on Monday night. They've got a game against Sam coming up in midweek as well. They could be top of the table by the time you're listening to this. So um, we're not forgetting Napoli. It's just recording time sometimes making these things hard to talk about. Their Europa League game against Leicester was brilliant fun, though. And I loved seeing Victor Ossiman show up big on a European night. I'm so um, excited by his development in particular this season, I think, in that Napoli team. Because I think he's the player who is the wild card um, for a team that we've been frustrated by in recent seasons as maybe like close to being brilliant without quite being there. I think a fully healthy Oxyman doing things like he did against Leicester, that could be the difference. We'll see. And there's also, I think, an interesting match coming up between Fiorentina and Inter. Then we can actually decide uh, what we think about this Inter side. Although I'm telling you right now, we're not going to decide anything until at least March. But we do have a new addition to the Serie A Chronicles. We'll still argue. That's the point. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll always argue for the rest of time. And I think this is why you and I work. Um, but we do have a new addition to the Serie A Chronicles. We'll be back on Thursday with our first episode of Chronicles Q&A. Follow us on various different social platforms at Nikki Bandini and at Mina Rizuki. And follow Serie A Chronicles on Twitter at Seria Cron Pod, and also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And to help the show, please consider making a contribution at seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter. That's all from us now. <laughs> Ciao. It was very, very impressively smooth. Read there at the end. Lena <laughs> smashed it. Really? Yeah. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.